Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello. You're listening to BFN, the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby. And we've both been trying for a baby for a really long time, and neither of us have succeeded yet. Hurrah! So here we are. What can I say? We were absolutely blown away by the reaction to last week's episode. So much so that we are... Celebrating! <laughs> oh, that looks delicious. Ooh. Thanks everyone who listened to episode one. So the first thing to say is that um, thanks for all the feedback. We got so many absolutely lovely little messages from yeah. people. Yeah, it was really nice. So as many of you know, we're available on Acast and Audio Boom, and now, thankfully, Spotify. Woohoo! Yay! But still not on Apple. That's their fault, not ours. Yes, yeah, they've been um, really unhelpful. But we did get an email from someone called Gabby, who said that they were aware of the problem and were working to fix it, but that there was currently no workaround. Thanks, Apple. Thanks, thanks, Gabby. We thought that was a good omen, clearly not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, watch this space. Yeah. Um, So the other thing we wanted to talk about is that off the back of the first episode, we had a couple of questions come in, which Mm -hmm. we wanted to answer for you. Uh, both directed to Emma, actually. So, so I'll do the interviewing. Okay, fine. Um, so the first question was, when you talked about being referred for the liquid in your tubes, can you say why? Was there anything abnormal in your early scans? I don't recall there being anything abnormal. I think it was just we got to the point where it was a kind of process of elimination. Um, mm. Once I started Googling, though, I realised that I... I had peritonitis as a kid, which is basically my appendix exploding. And I realised that that meant there was quite a high chance that my tubes had been blocked. So did you highlight that to the doctors? I told the doctors, but they were so kind of vague about it. They were like, oh yeah, it might be. And then they went in and they were like, yeah, yeah, it was definitely that. Ah, okay. So, um, so yeah. So first scan obviously was an ultrasound up the lady area. Second scan was, um, well, second procedure was an HSG, which is where they shoot dye into your tubes. Mm-hmm. Um, third procedure was a laparoscopy, which is a camera into your tubes, and then they can um, seal them off if they need to. Mm, very good. Mm-hmm. And the second question is related to your chat about what the nutritionist told you and that you weren't allowed to have your morning latte anymore. <laughs> Oh, and I think people were wondering why that was and whether that was specific to you or something all of us should be avoiding. Okay, so this is again to do with the liquid in my tubes and the hydrosalpinks. As uh, a lot of people know, um, dairy causes you to produce mucus. Oh, sorry. Sorry that we're starting this early. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it causes you to produce mucus. And obviously when you've had a hydrosalpinks, which is quite mucusy anyway. You don't want to produce more mucus, which is why she banned me from. She didn't ban me from dairy. She just said, kind of try and cut down on it. And you couldn't bear the sort of not eating cheese. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also, I think caffeine is quite bad for blood flow, and when you're trying to build up a great womb lining, oh. that's another one. One of the things I've read about coffee is that it can mess with the ovulation. Oh. But heaven knows if that's I'm true, because sure. that again is Doctor Google. So, and I'm ignoring be- it people who drink like 20 cups of coffee a day. right like, i have one flat white in the morning yeah. i'm not giving it up you're gonna be okay i reckon yeah I think okay you'll good. be fine 
Yeah. Um, okay, so we recorded this episode in over two sessions, actually, in June and July. Yes. Um, I interviewed Anya Sizer from the Fertility Network, which is a charity, um, and we talked about the kind of basics of IVF. And I spoke to Professor Tim Child, Medical Director at Oxford Fertility, about the wonders of acupuncture. And before we go, we just want to remind you to, if you're not already following us on Instagram or Twitter, our username is BigFatNegative, at BigFatNegative. And you can also follow us on Facebook, and that's BigFatNegative. Or you can email us at BigFatNegativePodcast at gmail.com. Okay, guys, enjoy the episode. Speak to you soon. Bye. So, um, Emma, I think we should actually probably start with an update because I know that we've both had a fairly active week. So um, let's start with you. What's been happening? So um, anybody who listened to last week's episode will know that I'm just in the middle of going through a frozen embryo transfer cycle, Mm -hmm. um, which is so freaking stressful. So I was supposed to ovulate this week and I didn't. And then yesterday, I just had like a little bit of bleeding. Sorry to share such things so early on in the podcast. (laughs) But um, it's just, it's thrown me. I'm going through a natural, kind of a natural cycle, which means that I'm not taking the drugs that you normally would take at this Mm. stage. So um, last time I took Bucerolin, which kind of suppresses your ovaries um, and that helps to prepare your lining and all this other stuff Mm. Um, and I took another drug that I can't remember what it was but anyway this time I'm not doing any of that because I feel like it kind of screwed up my body so all I'm going to do is once I've ovulated I'm going to start taking progesterone which will help just to kind of support my body through hopefully the early stages of pregnancy Um, but essentially I'm supposed to have ovulated two days ago and I didn't. So I had a massive freak out. I phoned the nurse. They didn't answer because it's the NHS and they're just so massively oversubscribed that they don't have any time. Mm. So I got a missed call from the nurse last night. I had just It was just a little bit of bleeding, but obviously right. at this point in proceedings... Everything is... Yeah. You end up on of... Google. Google yeah. says, oh yeah, it's failed ovulation or you're dying, like one of those two. Mm, yeah. Or, like, you're never going to have babies, ever. Mm. So, yeah, massive freak out. And then my mum had to come over and she bought me some tulips. Oh, good Emma's mum. Yeah. They're beautiful. I can see them. They are gorgeous. We're sitting next to them and they're... They're very bright. Yellow and red and purple. Yeah. And a little bit... I'm looking a little bit old already. But anyway, so at this point we're just in a, like, am I going to ovulate? Don't know. Um... You know, I went for a scan on Saturday. Okay. I had a lovely... So today is Tuesday. Went for a scan on Saturday. I had a lovely follicle, which indicates that everything's progressing nicely. Well done. So my nurse was like, yeah, looks like you're going to ovulate on Sunday or Monday. Obviously nothing happened. Bleeding on Monday instead. So now it's Tuesday. I'm just waiting. Um, Spoke to the nurse today. She was like, well, waiting for ovulation is like waiting for a kettle to boil, isn't it? Just don't watch it. And I was like, cheers, mate. Oh, that's really useful. Any more cliches you want to throw in? Yeah. Why don't you tell me to just relax? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She was nice. She was nice. But yeah, so like, who knows if my cycle's going to be cancelled and I have to wait till next month. So you're currently waiting for ovulation big o the big not o. that big o aren't we all mate aren't not carrie bradshaw's big o the other <laughs> kind. um and how are you um how are you identifying that um so i'm using ovulation tests you can buy them at boots and they're like a million pounds or right. you can go on amazon and they're like 5p each oh wow so, so all you do is pee on the 5p little stick for 1p. yeah exactly <laughs> spending five pennies um all you do is pee on the little stick and then you wait, like two little lines will come up, which is a nice change for me. I normally only get one line. But yeah, two little lines come up and if the second one is darker than the first one, it means you're ovulating. It's really straightforward. Okay. Um, unfortunately, my sticks are only one line. Only one line. Or one and a half lines. And it looks it's like very a BFN. Frustrating. It's a BFN, even oh, on no. freaking ovulation Oh tests. no. And when you say you're going to be taking progesterone... Yeah. How how does that get administered? Is that injections or No, no, it's it's a pessary. 
Oh, I bet you're glad I asked that. Up the wazoo. (laughs) Not the wazoo, the other one. Foof. The foofoo. The foof. Um, Yeah, so that, I mean, that is two day, twice a day. Twice a day. I'm hoping 12 weeks. So, yeah, that's a fun one. And are they expensive? Do you have to pay for those? No, they're, well, I get them prescribed on the NHS Mm. because I am doing my treatment with the NHS. I don't know how much they cost. Yeah. but um yeah it's gross okay well fingers it's just like putting a tampon for the in big o me. yeah mm. well we're used to that aren't we yeah that's fine. exactly yeah oh, yeah so scan on friday if i don't ovulate and did the did the nurse have any idea why you might have had some spotting no she didn't she didn't share any ideas with me okay yeah okay yeah. That's just for you to wonder yeah. and to Google about. Yeah, exactly. So I'll Lovely. be on mum's net tonight again, probably. <laughs> Woohoo! Delightful. Uh-huh. And um, how are you? I am okay. Last week was I had a bit of a wobble. Last time we spoke, I was waiting for my period to come. And <clears throat> I'd had some spotting and, you know, I kind of knew in my heart of hearts that that was my period coming. But obviously... Yeah, it could, could be implantation you know. bleeding. Oh, it could be implantation bleeding. Yeah. Of course, it. you know, it could be. You never yeah. know. Hold on to the dream. Um, <laughs> so so I did. I did hold on to the dream a little bit um, until the Monday I was going to work and um, I felt a little bit off. I felt a bit wobbly and a bit like I was getting sick. So um, I powered on into work through the doors and I got in there and I just felt awful all of a sudden it was like all of the energy had just dropped out of my body and I was shaking and I felt like I was going to be sick so I kind of spoke to my colleagues and I was like I'm not I'm not feeling well at all I'm, I think I'm gonna to have to go home so off I went um traveled my way home whilst I was on my way home I thought to myself I was like oh maybe this is me getting pregnant maybe this is what it's like maybe this is the sickness that everyone talks about so I was like, oh, this is exciting. Oh, I think I might need a wee. I'll save that up now. I'll go home and do a test. There's one in the cupboard. <laughs> oh. So I, um, yeah, so I went home, into the door, uh, did my pregnancy test, BFN, unsurprisingly. And then that was closely followed a couple of hours later by my period. Um, so yeah, it was just sick. I was just sick. So I went to bed anyway. Went into work the next day. And um, one of my colleagues who was being really sweet and she knows that I'm trying for a baby. She knows that it's, um, I'm finding it a bit stressful. And she uh, messaged me and was just asking, you know, oh, is it, you know, is it pregnancy related that you were sick yesterday? And obviously I was like, no, unfortunately not, just, just sick. And all of a sudden I was just overcome with, with sadness that it wasn't. I think it just made me realise, and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't particularly dwelled on it the day before, but all of a sudden I just started welling up, I had to run to the loo, and then all, basically all day at work I was kind of quietly, it's just tears, <laughs> quietly dripping down my cheeks. Um, and at one point I was even in a meeting with a colleague, and I was just, he was, he was briefing me in on something, and I was, uh, there were just tears running down my face. And I, luckily, obviously I'd been sick the day before, so I was kind of, I kept saying, you know, Sorry, I'm just still feeling a bit unwell. I always get a bit teary when I'm unwell. Apologies <laughs> course, about... The flu crying. Yeah, apologies about this. It's not that what you're telling me is so desperately boring that I'm <laughs> bored to tears. It's just... I'm sick. Um, so that wasn't a lot of fun, I have to admit. Um, and so, yeah, but I'm, I'm fine now. I'm over it. I think it was just the, you know... But you get it. I mean, everyone gets it. Mm. And you get it every month because every month in your head there may there's little life, mm. and then you think about all the things you can't stop thinking about all the things that that life might have in it, yeah. And then, um, then that life doesn't exist anymore, and you're grieving. It's just I was just sad. I was well at first. I felt a bit silly because I was like, why did I get my hopes up again? But you and just then do. yeah, just desperately sad. I think. Which is annoying. But anyway, onwards. Uh, yeah. What else has happened this week? So my <laughs> husband is currently having um, some tests, well, just one test, actually, um, semen analysis done. And we were supposed to get the results of that today, actually. the um, Our doctor was supposed to call him this afternoon and run through the results. We called them um, during the week and they just said that there was nothing urgent, but that the doctor would call to chat. Okay. Um, and I, I assume nothing urgent meant that his semen hadn't told them that he was dying. 
Oh, that's good. So that's good. I'm glad he's not dying. But we were supposed to get an update from the doctor today and, and that just didn't happen. Um, they didn't call, which is annoying because I think we've just been, you know, waiting all week, focusing on Tuesday and finding out whether there was any answers hidden in my in my husband's semen. And, uh, well, we still don't know. So um, hopefully we'll find out soon. There's, there's one thing that you learn when you're doing infertility or going through infertility is that you just have to have the patience of a saint you mm. just have to you just wait and you wait and you wait and you mm. wait you mm. just wait mm. oh it's so boring i can understand that it's not you know of all of the things that that doctor surgery is dealing with this is not high up on their list i mean yeah. it's not their concern really we're not neither of us are dying hopefully but yeah it is just trying to get some clarity on what what's going on would be nice um, but you know, mm-hmm. that's the you know the NHS are brilliant, and they're just we love the NHS. We do love the NHS, but we also wish that maybe uh, you know plough some investment in there. Yeah, you know, just I give it some money. Appreciate that, wouldn't they? Yeah, I think they would. Mm. Yeah, um, and also maybe recognise that infertility is not just like um, a silly lady's whim, yes. and in fact, a genuine problem and a disorder. Yeah. Anyway, that's a different podcast for a different time. So for our second episode, we wanted to stay quite basic on IVF um, and just answer all those questions that everybody has right at the beginning of the process. Everything from what do all those acronyms mean to what is the difference between a fresh and a frozen cycle? Um, So I got on the phone to Anya Sizer, who is from the Fertility Network, which is a charity set up to help people going through infertility. Um, And I basically bombarded her with a whole load of questions. I started by asking how she got into her job. I've worked in the fertility sector for about 12 years now. Um, That partly came out of our own experience with um, treatments, which was... um, six years of treatment and um, five rounds of IVF. Um, So we have two children from IVF and one adopted child. Um, Very much personally and professionally, I'm really keen to find ways to support people through it. So I guess my first question is, when you're trying to conceive, at what point should you start thinking, there's something wrong here? So the standard reply to that is it's a year of trying to conceive um, proactively. So, you know, each month really trying and sort of being aware of your cycle and that kind of thing. So it's after a year that you could visit the GP. Um, But people wait less or more depending on many different factors. Um, So we were impatient and we got to eight months of trying and then ended up at the GP. But the the standard response is it really should be a year of proactive trying um, and then go and have the investigations and tests. And so the first thing you should do is go and speak to your GP about it. Yes, yeah, definitely. If you've been trying and nothing's happening, um, there's still every possibility that it just takes time. I mean, that's the thing that people do forget is that sometimes conception just takes time for no particular reason. Um, so sometimes it can just be that. But if after a year nothing's happening, the first thing would be to book in, uh, see the GP and to have some blood works for the woman. So they would be uh, FSH, so there's the first acronym. That's just to check the hormone levels for the woman. Um, and then you would have two semen analyses, really, for the, for the men. Um, so from that, you'd have a good, clear picture, hopefully, of what's happening fertility-wise. And what are they checking for the men? Uh, men is how, uh, you know, semen quality, uh, semen param- parameters, um, so h- how fast they're moving, what they look like, the quality, quantity. Um, so that's what they're looking for. And, and I'd always, always advise to have at least two um, tests done for men because actually things can really vary from one month to another. So um, I think often you're offered one, um, and I would always push for more than one, uh, ideally two or three. How do you know if you're going to be covered by the NHS? Um, <laughs> generally, work on the theory that it's it's unlikely. Um, I mean, in terms of real gold standard of treatment, 
Um, hardly anywhere at all is offering it, other than Scotland, who are leading the way. Um, so you have regional variants in uh, England, um, and then you have um, different levels being offered in Wales and um, Northern Ireland. Um, but England is very much postcode lottery. And so it would be literally a case of saying to your GP, um, do you know what my local CCG is offering? Uh, and that's Clinical Commissioning Group, another acronym. Um, and they, they vary. So different places will be offering one cycle, two cycles, no cycles. Very rarely are you offered three cycles, unfortunately. I mean, we bandy around this word cycle. What does it mean when it comes to the NHS, one cycle of IVF? So NICE guidance is a full cycle, and a full cycle is um, fresh and any subsequent frozen embryo transfers. Uh, so that's the guidance, is that should mean a full cycle. But actually what happens in reality a lot of the time is you'll get one or two cycles and then um, you'll have to pay for any subsequent frozen. So we hear from people a lot of the time that have had a frozen, uh, a, fr- a fresh transfer and then we'll have one or two um, embryos left over and we'll suddenly have to find storage fees as well as the money for a transfer. Um, so that, that's often quite a hidden um, realisation uh, that people have this additional cost. So you end up with people with frozen embryos, but they just can't afford to have them put back in? Yeah, yes, absolutely. We've had that quite a bit. And that's really, really distressing because you, you're looking at storage fees, which can run into a few hundred, um, and then a transfer fee, which is, again, a few hundred, maybe, you know, one, two thousand. Um, and people just don't have that kind of money lying around. So uh, you're hitting real problems at that stage. I mean, if you're doing a very straightforward round of IVF and you're doing that privately, how much would that cost you? Oh, unfortunately, that's uh, how long's a piece of string because, I mean, the, the average is you're looking at around five £6,000 per cycle. Um, but we've known people spend £20,000 on a cycle and not get pregnant. So it really varies. And this is one of the issues is you've taken such an emotive and medical issue and and it's become commercialized and because of that you can really charge whatever you want to um so you do get massive variance in price um one clinic i know of is charging uh, very small amounts uh, comparatively of about 1500 per cycle but other clinics we know of have been charging 20000 so it really really varies is there anywhere that you can find a kind of price list like a kind of ivf price comparison site Oh, do you know, that's a good question. I don't think there is. I think it's literally going on to each website and looking and bearing in mind that costs can vary. It's very rare for a clinic to say this will be the total price up front you will pay no more than this. What tends to happen is you go in, start the process, and then you may need an extra procedure here. You may need more medication there. And and the number can really um, start to to add up. Um, So I think it's very hard. That's another area that's very difficult for patients is at the beginning to think, right, what is this going to cost me? And so therefore budget. Um, So I think it would be brilliant if there was. To my knowledge, there isn't. There may be. So just to continue on this theme a little bit, um, some people go abroad. Mm. Um, I mean, what, what's that like? Are the standards different? Uh, is it, I mean, is it a good idea? So we tend to steer clear of ever recommending or not recommending things like that. It's up to the individual to work through what's best for them. All we would say as a charity is really make sure it's a reputable clinic, that you know what it's like, um, that you've joined up all the dots. I think that's something we found really uh, increasingly, that there has to be a really good pathway of care. So it's not just you start some work over here, you you go overseas and, and do part of the cycle, and then you're sort of in between clinics um, once you come back to the UK. We have found people in that scenario. So what you need to do is speak to an overseas clinic and make sure that it really is right from the start right through to the end of a cycle that you're being cared for. Um, and then there are some really good overseas clinics. There's, there's some great options. It's just making sure that you really do know what you're getting and uh, things like language barriers, is that going to be an issue? Generally, that's not from what we've heard, um, but factor in that kind of thing. 
Um, but one of the reasons we are finding that people are going abroad increasingly is just cost. You know, a lot of the places yeah. are managing to undercut um, the UK prices. And so, as a, again, as a charity, we can totally understand why people would be going overseas. However, it's really, really worth um, stressing that it's just got to be as safe and as easy for the patient as possible. And certainly thinking through issues such as are they going to be pushing for a multiple um, embryo transfer and therefore the potential of a, um, you know, a, a multi-embryo birth and having, uh, you know, a, a twin pregnancy or, or even more, uh, which obviously is higher risk and has cost implications for the NHS. So I think those kind of things, we, we've got such a good job under the HFEA here. Uh, they, they monitor so well in this country and you know that, that's not the case overseas always so it's really worth making sure you know what you're getting. I mean multiple embryo transfers um, mm. I know my clinic really doesn't encourage people to have them mm. but then you watch things like Friends where Phoebe has three put in at once. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> um, I mean, is it a good idea? Is it a bad thing? What What's the kind of official recommendation there? Yeah, well, the, the advice with the HFEA, and they've done a really um, fantastic job on this, is that is one healthy uh, transfer at a time. So to put back one embryo at a time and to be pushing for one live birth at a time because that is best for the child and for the mother in terms of any added complications. Um, and the problem with things like friends, uh, which I love, um, is it, it just simplifies a very complicated situation. Um, so I think in general, opting for one transfer at a time is going to be the better option. But I do understand why people end up asking for two at a time. You know, I, you know, it's, this isn't simplistic. Um, and when you've been going through treatment for a long time and that's an option, I, I understand totally. But again, you have to go in with eyes wide open about the health implications. I mean, does having more than one embryo put back in increase your chances of conception? Um, well, my understanding of it and the research that I've read is actually it's very, very limited, the difference between putting in one or two. And actually the live birth rate isn't that different. Um, and so because of that, actually, it is safer to go for one at a time. Um, I, I do understand, as I've said, why people would opt for two at a time. Um, but in terms of patient safety, and chance of pregnancy, I, I think it is better to go for one. Okay, the terminology, we discussed it very briefly at the beginning, but what actually is the difference between IVF, IUI and ICSI? 
see this is like a test now so um <laughs> iui would be normally where people would start off with after um drugs to induce ovulation so iui stands for intrauterine insemination and is basically the sperm being uh moved into the um womb at the appropriate time of the month so it okay. would be either a donor sperm or husband sperm um and it's relatively simple as a procedure um, you can have IUI with medication or without um, and um, it would involve some tracking and some monitoring from the clinic and then as I said the at the key time um, insemination and um, hoping for a pregnancy after that um, success rates are lower than with IVF um, uh, but it's often used as a, as a starting point um, to, to hopefully achieve a pregnancy. So that's IUI. Um, IVF is the standard um, Petri dish, egg being placed in the Petri dish and um, sperm placed in with the, um, the egg and survival of the fittest. So which sperm can impregnate the egg? quickest, um, uh, fertilize even, uh, the egg quickest and um, hopefully conception happen and um, uh, the embryo starts to develop. So that's IVF. Uh, ICSI is a newer um, version of IVF and it was uh, pioneered in the mid-90s for male factor issues um, and is literally the cho choosing of one specific sperm to inject into the egg. So rather than survival of the fittest, which sperm can get there first and quickest, it's uh, the lab will choose a healthy, strong sperm to inject into an egg with the hope of conception happening that way. Um, and it's it's quite incredible to watch. It's an amazing thing. Um, uh, so again, IVF and ICSI will be chosen according to the need um, of the uh, couple or the person going through it. So they will choose whichever option is better for them. Let's talk about the difference between a frozen and a fresh cycle. I mean, what do those things mean? So a fresh is literally start to finish um, with, uh, I mean, there's so many different types of IVF protocol, but a fresh cycle is um, basically taking the embryos at the end and um, placing them within uh, in the woman right within that cycle. So it's all within the same cycle. A frozen cycle, you would go through the entire cycle up until the point of transfer. So they would take any embryos made and they would freeze them. Um, now, years ago, the, the success rates between a fresh and a frozen were really different, whereas now they're pretty much running simultaneous and actually some places seem to prefer a frozen cycle for a variety of reasons. Um, but but the, the heart of the difference is basically when are you transferring the embryo? Are you pausing for a bit or are you going within that actual cycle? Okay, and people talk about short and long protocols. What's the difference between those? So some protocols will start with you um, down-regulating um, and that's literally shutting off your um, hormone system, sort of giving a blank canvas um, for the clinic to work on. So a down-regulation would um, be bringing on feelings a bit like the menopause um, and it can be done in various ways um, but the idea is to give that blank canvas um, and then to move into um, in trying to get as many um, good quality eggs as possible. Um, other cycles, a short cycle, will go straight in at trying to produce as, good, as many good quality um, eggs as possible. Um, so the, there's the two different types. But then you can have natural cycle IVF, which is either minimal uh, medication or no medication at all, but basically going with the woman's own natural cycle to remove maybe one egg with the hope of fertilizing um, that one egg and then creating a pregnancy that way. Um, and with natural cycle, generally the idea is that you have a few cycles um, in order to create a few more embryos, but it's, it's much less medication, can be cheaper, um, and there's, there's definite pros and cons in people's thinking about it. I mean, when you say down-regulation, is that just going on the pill? Um, no, down-regulation can be um, a variety of ways, but it's that suppressing of the hormone system. So it's literally starting afresh, in a way, giving that, the, the body the blank canvas that the clinic really 
likes to work with. Um, so no, the, the pill can even be before that stage uh, to sort of regulate the cycle and then um, having down regulation. But clinics, what they're looking for is what's going to work best with the individual in front of me. So is this someone that really needs to go straight into um, uh, inducing the uh, egg uh, harvesting and uh, developing the eggs, or is this someone that needs that um, that shutting down and then building up? So there's lots of different ways of doing it, but what a good clinic will do is look at the individual in front of them, look at their um, their results, their hormone readings, uh, the results of the scans, and think, right, what's the best chance of a live birth with that person and how are we going to get there and then it's tweaking the protocol accordingly but there are so many different types. So basically an IVF cycle does not necessarily equal a woman's menstrual cycle? Oh no it can be longer it can be shorter Um, yeah no it doesn't follow um, a menstrual cycle so it can do you can have them for about four or five weeks or you can have them longer six eight weeks or shorter um, depending on what the protocol is and what's being used how much monitoring there is how the woman's responding. I mean, that's a key one is um, for many people, they, they just take a little bit longer to respond to the drugs and therefore the cycle will be pushed forward a little bit. Maybe the, the medication will be increased or decreased. Um, but what they're doing all the time in a cycle is tracking you and just uh, scanning regular and often just to check that there's no risk of overstimulation, but also that it is stimulating enough that you're going to get one or two maybe more good quality embryos uh, to work with. So that's what you're looking for is how is this person in front of me best going to respond? Okay, and when we're talking about embryos, again, some people have three-day transfers, some people have five-day transfers. Um, Why do some people do that and some people don't do that? Why do some people choose later ones? So again, sometimes that's clinic preference um, and there's a variety of reasons why you might do a three or a five. A five-day transfer is often called a blastocyst um, and that's just letting the embryo develop that little bit longer so that you can have a better idea of what's happening. But for a variety of reasons, a three-day transfer is often used as well. Um, maybe there haven't been as many embryos to work with, so they just want to put them back in the natural environment as soon as possible. Or maybe they're, they're for other reasons wanting to go with a three-day transfer. But again, um, the important thing is not to worry too much about whether you're on a three-day or a five-day transfer or or even to worry too, too much about grading because you can get very hung up on numbers um, when going through a cycle. But if a clinic's saying, look, they're good quality and we're going to see what happens, but I think that that's enough information to go with in some ways. Um, and, and then either a three- or a five-day cycle um, is pretty standard. Okay, and one thing that people on the internet do is they go on Instagram and compare how many eggs they've got and how many embryos they've got. Um, I mean, is that a good thing? Is there a benchmark for how many you should have? Can you have too many eggs? Yes, well, certainly you can overstimulate and that's actually a big health risk. Uh, One of the biggest ones that they look out for during an IVF cycle, you do not want to overstimulate a woman's body. Um, So, I mean, a good number of eggs... I'm reluctant to put a figure on it because actually what you're wanting is good quality eggs. So you could you could have 14 eggs and they not actually be that great quality or you could have two eggs and they're really, really good quality. All you're wanting is to give yourself the best opportunity for a live birth. Um, and for some people, they will naturally produce more eggs than others, and that's okay. Um, I'm really, really cautious about forums. I mean, there's some, there's some great things about them, um, mainly that you, you feel less alone and you can get some uh, good peer support and you can get bits of information. But the problem is they're not always very well regulated and monitored. Um, and because of that, people can be writing loads of statistics and bits of information. And then, understandably, in a very emotional state, it's not always the easiest to sort of really work out what's happening. All that matters at the end of the day is what's happening in your body within the clinic setting. So I think to compare yourself 
is really, really tricky. And people do this all the time, and I would never, ever criticize because I know that I would have done it. But where you can, just take some of the forums with a bit of a pinch of salt because it doesn't matter what's happening to the person down the road. What matters ha- is happening to you. You know, how are you responding and how are you doing? That's what we always say is Dr. Google does not have a medical qualification. No, no. And there's some crazy people out there, as you said, you know, writing crazy things about, oh, I tried drinking this thing and then I was miraculously pregnant the next Tuesday. And, and, you know, if fertility was really, really this simple, then we would all be drinking that thing and we would all be getting pregnant really, really quickly. However, it's, you know, you ask any clinician and it's a very complicated area of science. Um, there's many different factors and an average IVF cycle has got many different components to it. So um, I think it's it's just being a bit cautious about oversimplifying anything like that and um, just thinking again and again, what's my scenario, what's happening for me and how can I best look after myself? I think that's really good advice. Um, so last couple of questions. Mm. Uh, one thing is during my cycle, I didn't really know how much time I was going to have to take off. Yes, yeah. Um, and so I didn't take a holiday for a year oh. and I got really burnt out and frazzled. Um, so how much time do, do people need off, really? Well, Fertility Network did um, a little bit of research on this and found that the average cycle needs eight flexible days. So two of which in an IVF cycle would probably mean a day off. Um, so that's for egg retrieval, which is definitely a day off, and then embryo transfer, which ideally is a day off, although some people do go back to work afterwards. Um, medically, there's no reason why not. Um, and then you need around six um, flexible days where you're going to be having scans, clinic visits, um, that kind of thing. Um, so it's around eight days per cycle that's needed off. And there is no right way to do this. This is one of the things, again, that people think, oh, should I take two weeks off uh, for the two-week wait? Should I take the entire IVF cycle off? Should I carry on totally as normal? And there really isn't a one-size-fits-all. Medically, there's very little that's going to make a difference other than we would never recommend scuba diving, bungee jumping, or rollerblading. Um, You know, all of the things that you just think, yeah, just don't do that kind of thing. Um, But other than that, you sort of can carry on with life as normal. So the key thing is really emotionally, mentally, what can you deal with? Um, And one of the things that I always recommend is pre-planning and thinking ahead and thinking right this this will be a very emotional time this will be probably quite a stressful time um what can i do to reduce that stress so for some people it will be carrying on as normal for other people it's sort of drawing up the drawbridge and focusing more on themselves themselves and the partner um just think ahead and think right when i'm in a stressful situation what what do i need um and then it's definitely thinking right there will be probably around eight days needed flexibly from work how can i help myself with that who do i need to speak to at work to make sure i've got that flexibility and how can i work that into my life so it's preparing the way i think sort of thinking ahead thinking emotionally practically physically what do i need and then putting it in the diary Okay, um, and so I guess my last question would be, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is about to embark on their journey? It's two parts. One is always realise how big a journey this is. So you're not exaggerating this. You're not making up how hard this can be. You're not overestimating it. This is likely to be one of the biggest things you go through in your life struggling for a child, trying to conceive, going through treatment. So give yourself a break. It is likely to be one of the biggest things that you'll face. Um, And so realize that. And then part two of that will be, therefore, how can you help yourself? So it's not beating yourself up that you ought to be doing better. It's not thinking, really, look, that person over there is coping way better than me not thinking people are starving in a different country. It's realizing the enormity of it and then thinking, right, what do I need? Who's going to get me through this? What do I need? How can I make sure I'm as healthy as possible and as rested as possible? Who's going to help me? Um, And how can I 
implement the same level of self-care as though I was speaking to my best friend. And that, I think, is the sort of benchmark for me of this. If you saw your best friend going through this same scenario, going through something that was incredibly difficult, what would you say to them? How would you offer them support? What would you do that was as helpful as possible and then only apply that to yourself so be your own best friend when going through this well Anya thank you so much for coming on the show that's been amazing oh so now it's time for old wives tales fact or fiction yay we need a jingle (laughs) um so I would say one in every two people I've spoken to about infertility has said to me Oh, have you tried acupuncture? Including after my first round of IVF, after it failed. Okay. I put quite an emotional post on Instagram. You did. Because I just wanted to, I just felt like other people might want to know that someone else is out there. Yeah. Anyway, so lots of people said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I would say three people said, oh, have you tried acupuncture? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, um... I haven't tried acupuncture. I have spoken to my um, consultant about mm. acupuncture. She says, loads of studies have been done about acupuncture. They're all inconclusive. Right. Right. That said, a lot of the professionals that I've spoken to have said it's quite relaxing. Mm-hmm. And when you feel relaxed... As we all know, you get pregnant straight away. Yeah, exactly. Or at least it helps with IVF. Mm. Um, Sorry, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be glib. <laughs> um, so Gabby has been speaking to the esteemed Professor Tim Child. Professor Tim, so Child. aptly named. <laughs> um, so we've already heard from Professor Child last week talking yeah. about raspberry leaf tea. I also called him up this week and asked him about acupuncture, and he had this to say. Take it away, Professor. So acupuncture is an extremely interesting question. Um, obviously, acupuncture has been used for thousands of years for all sorts of different medical conditions. And absolutely, there's very clear evidence that it can help uh, people with you know, back pain or other types of pain. Interestingly, we undertook some research back in, in Oxford in the 1990s looking at acupuncture and fertility for women with polycystic ovary syndrome, which meant they weren't ovulating. And there is some evidence, and I've seen it myself with patients that have had acupuncture with PCOS, that it can help induce ovulation. So so I think acupuncture may be beneficial for women who have a medical problem such as, such as PCOS. In terms of acupuncture for women who have no obvious cause of why they're not getting pregnant, so they're ovulating regularly, the tubes are probably open and partner sperm seems fine, then the studies there don't really suggest the benefit of acupuncture. Having said that, the studies are actually quite hard to do because um, when we look at medical studies, we often look at what are called randomised studies. So a computer would decide that half of the patients have the treatment and half don't. So if you have something where half the patients have acupuncture and they have you know someone fussing over them for 40 minutes doing acupuncture but also chatting to them and looking after them, and half the patients have nothing then perhaps not surprisingly, the people who have the acupuncture you know, may feel better about themselves. Maybe it's due to the acupuncture. Maybe it's because they've had a very nice person talking to them and focusing on them for 40 minutes. So the studies within acupuncture are, are, are difficult to perform properly. But in women with unexplained infertility, there doesn't appear to be um, any benefit of acupuncture in terms of increased numbers of babies. If you look at IVF, there are loads of studies done with an acupuncture and and IVF. And it's fair to say the studies are fairly conflicting. And a problem is that a lot of the studies are quite poor quality studies. So they're not, they're, they're not being undertaken or written up in a very scientifically rigorous way. So it is difficult to know. Just this year, there was a very large study from, um, from Australia and New Zealand with over 800 patients undergoing IVF, half of whom were randomized to have acupuncture, and half of them were randomized to have what's called sham acupuncture. So it was sort of fake acupuncture where a blunt needle was used and it was put in the wrong place. So that was to try and get around this issue of making sure that both groups had people fussing Mm. over them. And there was no difference at all in live birth rate 
um, at all between the acupuncture and the sham acupuncture group. Um, there are some studies suggesting different. There was one large study from a few years ago that suggested that acupuncture reduced the live birth rate compared to doing nothing. So it's very hard to know. When you put all of the studies together and we, we lump them all in together, it generally suggests there's, there are not more babies born with acupuncture during IVF compared to not during acupuncture. But it's important to be aware that having a baby isn't the only positive outcome of IVF. Um, if women or men undergoing IVF are feeling stressed by the whole situation, they're feeling out of control because in the end the clinic is the one saying which drugs to use and when to do it, then many of my patients who, who have acupuncture, they feel more relaxed during the IVF treatment, they feel more in control and they feel as though they're doing something for themselves. And so one positive outcome might be just uh, a better sense of well-being and, and lower stress. That might not result in more babies being born, but if it helps the person go through what might be an otherwise difficult IVF cycle for them, then that is a positive outcome. So we're very open-minded um, here in Oxford about it, and if people um, are feeling that it would help them, then we, you know, we offer acupuncture on site even, which shows that we're very open-minded about it. Right. Oh, I guess if it does help people to relax and, and feel better anyway. Exactly. But I've had some patients who 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 have um, gone. I've had some patients who signed up for acupuncture because someone has told them that it will help them, you know, have a baby during IVF and increase their chances. And they've absolutely hated having acupuncture. You know, they've, they've not liked someone fiddling around, sticking needles into them, fussing over them. They've not liked it at all. But they've done it because they they thought they should do it. And you know, for those. Um, ladies, I've said to them, you know, just don't bother because the evidence just isn't there that it's definitely going to make a difference. And if you're if you're feeling it's making you worse, then then stop. Okay, it sounds like really good advice. Okay, guys, that's it for BFN this week. Um, as of last week, and as always, follow us on Twitter on at big fat negative or email us with any questions or thoughts at big fat negative podcast at gmail.com don't forget to rate us or review us wherever you listen to your podcast because it helps other people to find it and that is the name of the game yes please um and we'll see you next week bye guys bye HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.